Hey everybody, this is Martin and you're listening to Healing Together, a podcast that connects you to me and some of my amazing friends, where we hope that our stories will bring you comfort, inspiration and healing. I want to give you a behind the scenes view of people's lives, both the ordinary and extraordinary. And I think that you will realize that most often moving through struggle relies on finding a way to shine a light on some of the darkest corners of your heart. And through this, we can build strength and therefore remain open, kind and grateful. Okay, hey everybody, and welcome to episode 10 of Healing Together. Thank you so much for the feedback to episode nine, the post-holiday reflections. I've had some really wonderful emails and messages about uh, other people's relationships when I was talking about mine and Amram's arguments and the potential conflict that, well, the actual conflict that we have. Um, and I think it's been helpful for people to see that, you know, you can have a really fulfilling relationship because of your conflicts as opposed to uh, despite them. And uh, some really interesting feedback on the ADHD stuff as well. So. I look forward to sharing that feedback probably in a couple of weeks um, on a feedback episode like I did last time. Um, so yes, thank you, everybody. And so for episode 10 today, I did a teaser for our lovely guest, Bethany, who you can see here. Um, so Bethany's going to be talking about death grief and loss and addiction, as well as lots of other things, I'm sure. Um, but enough of me talking about you, Bethany. Um, <laughs> how are you today, my love? I'm really good, thank you. Really good. A uh, little bit nervous, but yeah, apart yeah. from that, yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Oh, my how are pleasure. You? Yeah, I'm. Oh, thank you for asking. I'm. I'm really good, actually. Um, I uh, have really enjoyed coming back to work after our holiday. Um, had a bit of a meltdown on Thursday night, oh. as people probably heard about on episode nine. Um, but Amram made a delicious mushroom soup, and uh, I'm gonna. <laughs> that's it I'm gonna have some nice soup after the after this actually as a as a little reward so oh, um God. yes no no I'm good um and it was really lovely to have you at um the yoga class yesterday how did you find it oh yes of course amazing as always I love your classes they really are definitely one of my favorite classes that I go to um I've got to say though my hips are a little bit uh sore today Oh, um yeah. but no really good fun uh obviously you get us really um going with that fear factor as well of falling with the aerial yoga which um yeah is exactly what I need at that time so fabulous as always so thank you Oh, my pleasure. It's so lovely having you there. And obviously uh, you brought your friend as well. And, you know, to know that you come, I know for you, it's it's not massively far, but, you know, it's it's, it's probably a good hour. Um, yeah, but and... it's worth it. Totally worth it. Well, it was really <laughs> lovely having you. So I loved it when you said when you came in that you were feeling um, like, you know, you might not have everything to give and that you were going to honour that. And um, yeah, yes, yeah, like a... I'm definitely trying to slow it down a little bit and listen to my body these days, 100 percent. 
Yeah, well, I'm sure we'll find out a bit more about why that might need to be <laughs> as we move into the into the rest of the podcast. So, um, so what we're going to do in a moment, I'm going to hand over to you to uh, introduce yourself a bit more and uh, let us know um, some more of your your story and and what brings you to to be who you are and how you are today. Um, but I think to settle us both and also. Um, the listener uh, will do just I think we'll just do five really easy and simple cleansing breaths just yeah, to absolutely. help us land and uh, maybe just slow the heartbeat down <laughs> Definitely. a little bit um, <coughs> so um, for anybody that's listening obviously if you're driving or operating any machinery then maybe don't do this and certainly don't do it with your eyes closed but I trust that um, anybody who is going to participate in this breathing will be in the right circumstances to do so and so either sitting up nice and tall or lying down if that feels better for you and closing down the eyes if that feels comfortable if not then just softening the gaze and I want you to take your awareness down into your belly and then we're going to send a lovely big deep breath through the nostrils all the way down into the belly nice and full moving up through the ribs and feeling the chest rise at the collarbones and exhaling through the mouth, a nice sigh. And let's do that again. Nice big inhale through the nose, taking in as much air as you can, keeping it soft at the top, nice and full. And exhaling, let it go, a nice sigh. Three more of those. Nice big inhale. And again, inhaling. Any tensions building, noticing them on the inhale, and then just blow them all away on the exhale, relaxing, settling down. One final breath of this practice, inhaling. And let it go. Okay, opening the eyes. Okay, does that feel a bit better? Yes, absolutely. Relax. <laughs> okay, so. I'm going to hand over to, to you now, my love, and uh, just let us know a little bit more about yourself and then moving into your story in any way that feels right for you. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm Bethany. Uh, I'm 34 and I am a single parent to my beautiful little girl, Isla, who's very nearly seven. Um, so yeah, my life is very much um, about her and a million different school activities that she does after school clubs um and I'm also a yoga uh, movement and embodiment guide and an NLP practitioner which is a neuro-linguistic program practitioner and a family mediator as well so yeah my life is pretty busy at the moment with all that but um yeah my free time I obviously love to practice my own yoga and just exploring the world as much as possible, really. Um, yeah, love to travel, love seeing new things, experiencing new things. Yeah. 
and that's how we met of course yes um, we met in a paper, with... obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um yeah for the listener um it was april this year wasn't it that yeah. um you and i met in the in the bar actually yes. um, i think i actually <laughs> and i was like oh hi have you imagine by any chance <laughs> it was so lovely and because we'd been connected um through social media um yeah. but then you know the fact that our first real conversation was in person in yeah, Ibiza, yeah. <laughs> um, was was so lovely and um oh goodness yes yeah, so we had that lovely afternoon yes. where we sat with Rachel yes um, we did I had that sequin cap on uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. my uh my gay chav realness um, which was uh, yeah that was brilliant for any oh it was it was the best um happy days and yeah, uh absolutely. yeah what a what a great place that is and um you know well you you are you know one of the many people that I've had the privilege to meet and um develop a relationship with and I'm so grateful to yoga fit for that oh yeah no it's a fabulous thing I'm so pleased I went and met everybody that I did yeah very grateful so um so that's you and I I didn't actually know about your family mediator role so that's super interesting um and uh, do you do that um, for an organisation or is that something that you yeah, do? Uh... Yeah, I do. So I do it for social services. So I work with families who are involved with social services um, around, and yeah, mediate around absolutely anything, to be honest. I put kind of safety plans in place as well with those families um, that have kind of, if there's like domestic violence involved, addiction involved, um yeah, putting safety plans in around children and then mediating with parents and other family members as well to come up with safety plans for children. Oh, wow. So I can, I, well, I'm, and we're going to get into the details shortly, but, you know, we talked in, well, our um, pre recording um like set up chat about the the themes of what you're going to explore today mm-hmm. and and I can imagine that your personal experience that lived experience will will really help you in your role as, as, as a mediator yeah no it absolutely does um I mean I just go in with families I think they're quite at that point they feel that they're quite judged from a lot of um professionals and other people to be honest um, but I just come in, just no judgment at all. And I've lived through some of what they have. And, you know, like we, we can all go through things that then lead us into situations that we didn't actually think we would find ourselves in. But um, it's just about how we kind of get back out with that situation and just support them with that, really. Oh, so lovely. And well, they are very lucky to have you um, oh, offering that, you. you know, non-judgmental <laughs> space and, and inspiration, you know, even if you don't necessarily share your stories with them, just to, I think you can feel when somebody else really gets what you've been through and whether that is directly or, you know, even just feeling some of the feelings, I think that can really come across when you're supporting somebody and it's such a comfort to for the person who has been listened to and supported to really feel seen and heard yeah Um, absolutely absolutely and I want to give them their voice back because I think sometimes they feel like it's been taken away so I want to give them that empowerment that they've got control of their lives and what happens next Um, and yeah letting them have that voice and just being there to listen as well 
Well, that makes me feel a lot more comfortable that people who are accessing social services have someone like you in there because I hear lots of horror stories about that judgment and yeah, you know the, 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 um, that kind of being removed from the realities that you know people who go through difficult things end up doing sometimes difficult things and mm -hmm. you know to to judge that and and shut people down just doesn't help them through it so I'm, no of course not yeah, no reassured that they have you so that's really <laughs> nice to hear <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so um, obviously, you know, you've had a think about what you're going to share today, and mm -hmm. um, I am really interested to hear what 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 you've got to tell us about your story. And so, yeah, let us know um, what what brought you to this, and and uh, and what you'd like to share with us, please. Yeah, of course. Um, so I'm going to start with a word that we all fear. I think it's not the best word word in the world. Um, but yeah, death, I think, is what I'm going to start with, word death. I think it's a word that we've been kind of conditioned to fear. Um, it's this awful, terrible thing. And yeah, we we all fear it to some extent. Of course we do, but also at the same time, it's like the most natural thing that can kind of happen as well. Um, but for me, for as long as I can remember from being very very small I always had this intense anxiety around death and dying um it really took over my life for, for a long time really um so I suppose if I could place a time of when I kind of really remember and remember that that started um was kind of just after I was eight I was uh, staying at my grandparents house um for the Easter holidays and my granddad was really unwell and had been unwell with lung cancer for a, long, for a lot of time. Anyway, this the Easter holidays, um, I ended up finding him dead in the living room when I was eight, which is obviously a very big thing for, a, for an eight-year-old. Uh, yeah, I can remember a lot of it quite vividly, but I can't fully remember how I felt and what I knew of what was going on. Um, I heard kind of a lot of like sadness, like my nan was there and I remember her screams being so vivid. Um, and then I was kind of like shuffled out of the room and and then, yeah, I was around in that house until, so they lived in Cornwall, which is obviously quite far from me. So I ended up being there throughout the time of when the funeral was getting planned and stuff and obviously went to the funeral and stuff. Um, but yeah, I've, I very I remember him having lung cancer and I suppose ever since then I then became absolutely terrified of cancer and death and I just thought that everybody was kind of going to get cancer really um and yeah from, from being like a really young age I would fixate on certain cancers I specifically remember when I was a child really fixating on thinking that I was 100% going to die from leukemia or meningitis I think was another thing that I used to worry about I think that was like quite a common illness at that time when I was that sort of age yeah, yeah. even um, just us being vaccinated against them, yeah I guess it, yeah of course it brings yeah. that to mind that it's dangerous yeah so I was forever thinking I was going to get leukemia. If I had a bruise on my leg, I'm like, oh my God, that is 100% leukemia. I'm going to die. And I'm talking like 
nine, 10 years old when I was having these really intense sort of fears. Um, and then as I got older, it just kind of escalated really and became more intense. As I got into my teen years, I would again start fixating on certain cancers and I would do like lots of research. Again, like talking like early teens here, I wouldn't do certain things. I wouldn't eat certain things because I might have heard that it would give me cancer or it would kill me or something. I think also in my teen years as well, my nan then died of cancer. And then at school, I had two people in my class who also died of cancer. So it was quite a thing in my life where I was like... Well, you had everyone... evidence that yeah, this is yeah, in my a, head. a reality. Yeah, yeah, in my head, all these things were happening. I was like, well, say that's evidence that this is uh -huh. what's going to happen. And I was so convinced that I was 100% going to get cancer at any point <coughs> and, and die. And um, I remember seeing an advert uh, at, at some point that said one in three people die of cancer. And I was one of three children. So there was me, my brother and my sister. And I was like, well, that's me. One in three. I'm, that's me that's going to get it. Then I'm going to die. And, and then that'll be it. Or if I was ever in like a group of friends and there was like three of us, and again, like teenagers, I should have been thinking of boys or whatever, but I'll be in a, a group of three and I'll be like, oh, there's three of us here. That means I'm going to die. It was just just constantly kind of like took over my life in a number of ways. Um, to the point where my mum took me to some counselling when I was little, but I can't, well, sort of teen years, really. I can't really remember that doing anything. I remember sitting in a doctor's room and my mum was very much like, something needs doing she's constantly thinking that she's got cancer kind of thing um but yeah again nothing really happened again going into my early 20s continue to fix it on certain cancers it would change as I got older um and it really got to the point when I was in my 20s where I was like oh this really is taking over my life I've again won't do certain things for fear that I'm going to get cancer or die from it um so I ended up taking myself to another counsellor and went to see her and I remember just saying like all I think about is that I'm going to get cancer and die um and I remember thinking oh, it was a positive like step kind of thing that I'd kind of gone to see him addressed it that it was was an issue yeah um and yeah we did a couple of sessions and this was kind of like coming up to Christmas and I remember saying oh well um let's kind of have a break over Christmas and while we were away I'm, she was like, I'm going to look at some statistics around cancer and see if I can make you feel better with statistics around things um uh -huh. and I was like all right okay so we had this break um and then, so yeah, this was December 2013 and it was a week before Christmas, broken up from, with the, have had the, had some time away from the counsellor. A couple of days after, I got a phone call from my dad um, to tell me that there was some worries about my brother, Lewis. Um, he'd had some sort of routine blood test and the results had come back abnormal. And I think it's like he was shown like he was anemic or something. And at the same time, they'd found like a lump on his neck. So they kind of wanted him in straight away to be like, just to do some uh, te the tests and do a biopsy on his neck. Um, and 
yeah, I, I can't really remember feeling, I think, in anything specific at this point. Um, I just remember having, I rang my brother straight away and I was like, oh, are you, are you all right? Um, are you worried about anything? And he was like, he was like nah, nah, I'm all, it's all right. And I was just saying, oh, like, I bet you £5,000 that this is going to come back nothing. You've just been doing way too much partying. You'd be totally fine. And it, in my head, I don't think I was really that worried, to be honest. Um, and I remember him specifically saying, no, I'm totally chill. I'd only be worried if it killed me and it's not gone. So, you know, I'll be fine. And that was that really. Um, and then, so he went in for his tests. And then it was literally like two days before Christmas. Um, we got the news um, that actually, yeah, he had cancer and it was at stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. Okay. Um, so, yeah, at this point, I was like, oh my God, like, my worst fears are kind of coming true. Like my brother has actually got cancer. This thing that I've kind of been worried about for like my entire life is kind of come like right into my life now. Um, I kind of remember feeling like totally numb and not really knowing kind of what to do. Um, and I suppose it, because he kind of got taken into hospital like really, really quickly and started his treatment really quick, I kind of didn't have time to, to, I don't know, it's it's hard to kind of pinpoint exactly how I felt. I don't think I had time to really process it all. It happened like really quick. Like all of a sudden he had this stage four cancer and we knew that that was like the worst stage it could be at. Yeah. Um, So he went into hospital over Christmas, started like his intense chemotherapy. Um, but the thing that got me, sounds bad that got me through it, it was him that was going through it. But the thing that helped me is seeing how he got through it. I mean, he literally continued his life <clears throat> totally normal. He continued his education, he sat his exams, he continued to play football. He had like a line in his, che- in his chest where his chemotherapy was going. He was like playing with that in. Um, wow like literally he did not stop living his life whatsoever and he got through it really easily to be honest he didn't seem that ill with it and then in the summer the following summer um we got the call to say that uh they were really surprised that he'd gone into remission um because it was stage four they didn't they'd never seen that before it was like quite unknown to be to recover that quickly from it Mm -hmm. um so obviously that was amazing and at that point I was like oh I don't think I need to worry about cancer anymore because he's survived it and yeah he he did amazing and continued with his life and yeah so at that point I remember thinking um I was in a long-term relationship at that point I was like oh, we must get married. So Lewis can walk me down the aisle because I just had in my head like, oh my God, he's just survived this thing. I need there to be some sort of big event to celebrate it. And I know oh, it's a bit of a random thing to say, oh, let's just get married to celebrate my brother being <laughs> in remission. But that's what we did anyway. Um, so we all, all the family went over to Greece. I got married, he walked me down the aisle. He did this really big speech at my wedding. It was just, yeah, an amazing time really. And yeah, that kind of anxiety around cancer kind of left for a few months. 
Um, and yeah, we kind of got back to normal a little bit. Uh, and then, like this, oh, sorry, could I? Sorry, can, no, if I just ask you a question about yeah. the um, the anxiety, and mm -hmm. you may have been coming on to this. Sorry, but sometimes I, I, I'm desperate. No, no, <laughs> um, as you were talking through, it's almost like the anxiety um, kind of had a purpose, mm -hmm. you know, to keep you on alert. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, to, to, to be looking out for it. And it seems that almost like the anxiety was was satiated by by Lewis, you know, contract well contracting developing cancer and and almost like well, oh, that's why you were there, anxiety. And and mm -hmm, now mm -hmm. that you you know you, your your role has been carried out, um, yeah, hundred percent. Kind of you're not needed anymore, and that you know on a. I suppose like on a, a rational basis and, and of course emotions and anxiety isn't rational but you know we we try to treat it with a rational brain don't we yeah um and yet something that's kind of irrational that that's coming up for me that was coming up for me as you were talking there was that did the role of the anxiety in keeping you on high alert do you think that it served you in terms of going, ah, well, now I'm prepared because I've been anxious about this all mm -hmm. my life. It's mm -hmm. like, well, I, you know, and, and, and was it helpful all of those years of anxiety when you actually got to the moment, you know, of finding out about Lewis, do you think? <laughs> um, yeah, that's certainly how my brain worked because when I found out, I was like, well, see, I knew <laughs> that I had a reason to panic about this. It was preparing me for this. And also before he got diagnosed with cancer, my brain would work as if to be like, well, if I stop worrying about me getting cancer, then I'm not going to know the symptoms. I'm not going to be checking every two minutes and I'll miss it. So I need to worry about this to make sure I catch it in time. Because if I stop worrying about it, then I'll get it and then I'll just die from it. So it makes perfect sense. It is, that is very much how yeah my brain was working. And yeah, certainly at that time it was yeah evidence for me to be like well I knew I was worrying about it for a reason yeah, yeah. but um, was it helpful no <laughs> <laughs> that anxiety um no because I don't until we you get to that point where something does happen I don't think anything can really prepare you for how mm. you're going to manage it really so interesting isn't it how we can really convince ourselves that all of this pain of the anxiety you know you describe kind of certain missing out let's say on that 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 youth that that yeah, you might um, might have had and you know your, your mum taking you to counseling clearly she had concerns about the impact that the anxiety about cancer and illness was was having on you and and actually when it came to it it, it still happened it happened the what you were right one in three you know and mm -hmm. I only know the story so far but yeah did it did it make it better maybe not uh oh it's a tricky one to answer um like yes and no I suppose like yes again it was that evidence to be like oh well yes that shows that one in three but then I was still kind of a little bit focused on, I suppose when he survived it, then it kind of, I was like, oh, well, 
not that it came back as an as intense as what it was but I was kind of came back to be like oh well still it's one in three like he didn't die so okay so it still it just... could be me really but it wasn't as intense as what it was um uh-huh, this was uh-huh. at that at that specific time when he'd Oops. recovered um but yeah we're only at the beginning of the story just yet so okay yes <laughs> and yeah I just um I, I kind of before we knew the rest of the story I was I was because I think a lot of people do believe that their anxieties are valid and I'm not mm. saying that they're not, you know, it's not up for any of us to say that, but at that stage, it's almost like, well, there we go. That was the purpose of the anxiety mm-hmm. done and dusted. He's survived. We're all good. We'll have a celebration, get married. And it's almost like the anxiety. Yeah, And it certainly was like that at that time. 100%, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and I definitely told myself like, well, this is why I've been worrying about it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So, okay. yeah, at that time, things were good. Like I say, we got married and we had a fabulous uh, family time in Greece. And I spent like tons of time with my brother. And yeah, we just had kind of the best time, really. Um, also in that year, he um, we got invited to a Heroes, Hero Award night um, because it's also at the time he him and my dad had been raising awareness of Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, and it had got to the press as well. So um, kind of his story kind of got quite well known, especially around how he was living his life with cancer. Um, so, yeah, we got invited to this awards night where he won kind of the local hero award. And yeah, everything was just re- like really good at this point. And we kind of just thought like we can kind of get through anything now as a family. Like he survived cancer. He's now bloody won an award for it now. Um, yeah. yeah it was uh yeah he survived it and just continued to live his life so fear fearlessly he had like zero fear um and it was just amazing to see really at that time um so another year passed really um and well yeah are we on yeah so that was 2014 and then and yeah like I said another year passed and then it was Christmas again 2015 and just yeah got because they had to keep doing checks on him to make sure it was all right Christmas yeah. Eve again we got another dreaded phone call it had come back um so yeah we were again faced with this this horrific disease and and everything again and but you know we we kind of got through it as best as we could we went on family holidays and again he breathed through it for a second time um lived his life continued to like play football continued to um play yeah play football go out with his friends um at this point I just had Isla as well my little girl um he was around it was just a couple of months after she was born that he got diagnosed for the second time okay. um but he kind of yeah took on this like amazing uncle role he was like around all the time and mm. helping with I life and though he was obviously unwell himself but yeah, yeah <laughs> again but then again he just um breezed this treatment so amazing and and before we knew it he was back in remission again the following summer um wow. It's like a repeat. Yes, yeah, so a totally yeah. repeat the first time. 
And I think he at this point was like, oh my God, I'm invincible. I've survived uh-huh. cancer twice. Like, and we all thought that. Um just again and again, I was just thinking, well, it, it's all right because you can survive it. And and he was okay. And we got through this kind kind of cancer journey together. Um so like after that we went on this um family holiday it's kind of like a once in a lifetime holiday that um my dad took us on uh just to celebrate him going into remission and um yeah we just had the best time on this holiday and I remember one night um everyone had gone to bed and me and my brother ended up staying up late with a bottle of rum on the balcony just looking at the stars and the moon and uh, we just talking about life stuff. And at the time, I think I was like coming up to being 30 and I was just being silly, saying kind of like how I was dreading there and I was getting old and all that sort of stuff. And he was like, oh, no, you need to embrace it. Like getting to like 30 or 40 or 50, it's, it's a beautiful thing getting older. As much as people don't ever think of it, it's, yeah, it's an amazing thing to get old, to live your life, to reach whatever, like 80, 90, whatever. Um, aging is a privilege kind of yeah thing. absolutely and that's what he was saying to me he's like it's a privilege that you will grow old and then he was saying because I know that I won't get to 30 like I just know I won't and I was like no don't be silly like you've survived cancer twice now like you can do whatever you want and he's like no like and he was totally fine at this point he wasn't ill or anything and he was like uh-huh. um no like I 100% know that this cancer will come back and I'm not going to survive it the next time um and he was kind of just so calm about it like he totally accepted it um and he he was so like so young at this point he was like 20 and he was like no I'm I'm, I'm not going to say another kind of he says I think I might come to another five years maybe but then that'll be it and he was like but it's fine like I don't want to grow old to be honest and he was just joking around kind of saying oh um I see myself as Peter Pan anyway like I've always thought to myself I'm never going to get old and he was just like I can't be asked getting older I can't be asked for bills or anything like that or getting married um because he always had like 10 girls on the go or something okay. he's like no I just I don't want to settle down I just want to have this like live my life the best I can um and he was like why do you think that I live my life in the way I do like he, like he never stopped he was always doing something amazing he was like because I know that I need to kind of get all this life in this short space of time and then he went on to kind of say about like his funeral and he told me exactly like how he would want his funeral to be um and again I was obviously listening to him but I was kind of just ended the conversation just being like well of course this isn't going to happen like you just survived kind of um two rounds of cancer and then we had this thing where I was like and anyway when I'm 40 you need to turn me to Vegas anyway so you're gonna have to survive for a few more years yet to turn me to Vegas when I'm 40 anyway that was that conversation and then um kind of a couple of months on um after this holiday uh we were in Scotland together and he just wasn't himself at all and we went for a meal and he just didn't eat and we knew we like we both looked at each other and we were like oh we know this is back again um and I remember him t- t- remember taking him back to this house we were staying at and he was so tired and I just took him back 
to like I took him back to bed and tucked him in the bed and he like he hadn't had any tests at this point but he was just saying like I know it's back now um and for good this time um and it's okay I, I'm gonna fight it as best as I can but like I know that this is kind of coming to like the end of the line and again I was just like oh no like let's just get these tests on it's it'll be fine yeah. um but yeah sure enough it come back again for the third time more aggressive it spread to all over really the consultant was kind of saying like there's not much really they can do um they kind of exhausted all the treatments they had an option of doing like a trial drug um but it hadn't been tested on anyone he would be the first one to test it and then if that worked, then there's a possibility of like a bone marrow transplant. Um, and it was at this point, actually, that that anxiety returned again, that like, but it was so weird. And as selfish as this sounds, it kind of came back to that, I'm going to die of cancer thing again. And I got okay. kind of fixed at this exact point. I became fixated there that I had breast cancer randomly. And I was one of the doctor's lords. And, um, and I know that that's, speaking it speaking out loud about that I know that sounds like really selfish because it wasn't me who had cancer it was my brother who had cancer and it was really bad this time and but I suppose that anxiety took me away from the actual reality that it wasn't me dying it was him Uh dying but that anxiety I suppose gave me a purpose to kind of be my take me away from the reality of that at the time if that makes sense like a like a, a a perception of being able to have some control over something or yeah a little like bit yeah yeah a, fo- suppose, a focus on something yeah because I suppose in my mind the, obviously the reality was that he was dying but if I convinced myself that it was me that was dying then that's not yeah. really the reality of it it took me away from the reality yeah that's yeah. that sounds really confusing I know but, but then thinking about your first um prior to his first diagnosis and your experience with anxiety I guess you know the focusing on something that wasn't real then did make you feel safe then too yeah you know yeah yeah because it was it was another kind of not reality at that time that you didn't have cancer but focusing on the fact that you did somehow felt better than not doing and and I guess it was yeah no it did it did it was it was weird really um so yeah um he he started his trial uh, drug and then it just became horrific after that to be honest because he then got a reaction from this trial drug which gave him Guillain-Barr syndrome which means that his it paralyzed his whole body and oh. gave him kind of extreme pain from like his nerve endings so he was in like this extreme agony constantly he went into hospital full time um, so yeah, my life for the next these following six months was just being on this high alert of like I wake up every morning. I was still like obviously worrying about myself in a weird way, but it was like waking up every morning as this day Lewis was going to die, and then going to hospital. It's, am I going to go to hospital? And I'm, am I going to see him die today? And I just oh. lived on this very high anxiety alert for these few months, um, and it was kind of all I knew my life to be at this point if like yes I had Isla but Lewis was kind of the focus so we like her life was spent at that hospital at the hospital at the time at like, any time we could I was at that hospital 
Um, so that was just my life at that time. And I didn't kind of know anything else. Um, anyway, going into January 2018 or February of that year, um, it started to, to show a, a slight bit of improvement um, and started to get a little bit stronger. And that's when they said, oh, well, we're going to do the um, bone marrow transplant to see if that will work. Um, so he had that and then um, he responded really well to it. Uh, the doctor again was really surprised. He was like, oh my God, we've never seen anyone respond this well to bone marrow transplant. So he said, um, we will let you go home. He hadn't been home in like six months at this point. He said, like, we will let you go home on one condition that you don't leave the house because you're so at risk of having like an infection. Ah, uh, okay. Um, so... <clears throat> he went home and I remember seeing him when we got back and he was just like I feel like so much more positive about the future he's like I know still this isn't gonna um I know that I'm still gonna kind of die at a young age but I feel like over the next couple of years I'm gonna really live my life I'm gonna go traveling to Australia um he just got accepted into Manchester Uni at the time he's like I'm gonna do all this traveling and then I'm going to, um, he had like a, a close friend in Australia at the time. And he's like, I'm going to go and stay with her, travel around the country with her. And I'm going to come back, go to uni, get a degree and then wow. just live my life as best as I can until like the end, really. Um, anyway, a couple of weeks after he got back home, um, we'd got a, a call to say that he'd been rushed to hospital because he had an infection. Um no, no, I don't think anyone really knew in the family, but um, <laughs> he'd taken himself, he'd snuck out of the house and taken himself for a full-on, like, night out with his friends. <laughs> um, I think he just, like, was like, I need to go and kind of just live kind of thing. Wow. Um, so, yeah, got rushed into hospital and um, they said that he'd had this really intense infection in these bowels that they'd had to remove his bowel and stuff to kind of make sure that the sepsis didn't spread elsewhere um but then it had and yeah he was in a kind of really bad way that his sepsis had kind of taken over his body um and I remember it was mother's day and I went up to hospital to see him and he was like in a really bad way and um he opened his eyes for just five minutes, smiled, smiled at me, had like this little laugh. And he was like, yeah, in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have had that night out. Um, but fuck it. I knew that I was going to like not have much time. He was like, um, I chose to go out the way I wanted to go out. And that was leaving this world partying. And that's what I've done. Like I needed to get to kind of leave my way. Um, and he was like, and I had the best fucking night of my life and I don't regret it at all. And I'm like, wow. fuck's sake, Lewis, you're in this situation because you've decided to have a night out. He's like, yeah, but fuck it, I just don't care. Like, I'm done and I wanted to have, like, the best party ever, so I did that. And then he slipped into, um, went kind of unconscious and and then, yeah, kind of, that was on a Sunday. The Monday we got brought in to say that his organs had started shutting down. Mm -hmm. and that it was likely that he was going to kind of die in the next couple of days um and yeah I remember being told that but it, it was like I wasn't in my body kind of thing um 
I remember these kind of like really loud screams and then I was like I didn't realize it was like coming from me yeah um it was like I was totally in this out-of-body experience where this nurse had said or whoever it was had said that he was going to die but um yeah so obviously the next couple of days was just kind of sat by his bedside and I did remember like remember telling him it's okay to kind of let go that's what you need to do um and yeah uh two days later um he died just really peacefully surrounded by family and friends um I was right next to his bedside and it was so peaceful and so still and so quiet um apart from his favorite songs were playing but just really like yeah I can't describe it it was so still and peaceful as if he just kind of slipped away into his like own little world into his own freedom um and then yeah I just remember like after his final breath I just held his hand kissed his forehead and then walked out of the room knowing that that was like the last time I was ever kind of gonna see him really um and yeah, it was obviously a bizarre time. Um, but I do kind of remember having this feeling that from then on, I was like never going to fear death or cancer at all. I mean, I just looked death in the eye and faced all, like every single fear that I'd had for as long as I could remember. Um, and yeah, um, Obviously, it was this indescribable pain mm-hmm. uh, of loss and stuff. Um, but I, at the same time, like this kind of anxiety of death had totally left my body. But then what replaced it was, of course, the grief and the journey I had ahead of that, of what that grief was going to look like. And yeah, so um yeah I remember like the, the night Lewis died um I suppose it was the night the same night that like my whole world stopped kind of time stood still I'd gone from this whole lifetime of anxiety and then just lived these like past four and a half years of kind of been on this high alert anxiety for like my brother um for myself as well I suppose and also while in that time as well like I got married I had a baby I moved house so I was like I didn't there was just no space to stand still in this time I was like doing these big life events or obviously Lewis was ill and I was just constant anxiety anxiety constantly um to hear on this night March 14th 2018 everything just stopped and I was just kind of like well what do I do now how do I live my life what everything that I've just been living it's just ended and it just this like total emptiness and darkness kind of fully just came over me um and I just didn't know where to go what to do um and like from the time of him dying to his funeral which I think was three weeks I just wouldn't leave the house um I just couldn't bear to see like close family or friends um I couldn't bear to think that life just carried on and I couldn't go to the shops because I was like, well, I can't go to the shops after all this. Like, I can't live and live 
a normal life after what's just happened. Um, so very much kind of in three weeks between him dying and his funeral, I just focused on arranging his funeral because obviously he told me about everything he wanted that night on holiday. Yes, so I just really became yeah. kind of focused on that. And then the other thing I just became obsessed with was um, was just cleaning the house from day, day till night, just fully obsessed um, until like my skin became sore. Again, I still refused to see friends or family. And all I wanted to do at that time was just think about cleaning, which I know sounds weird. Um, like I would get so angry if I found like a smudge or a tiny crumb on the floor. Like literally I was cleaning the house and like, well, just constantly day in, day out. Um, and then obviously came his funeral, um, which was what, the hardest day of my life, but also one of the most beautiful days of celebrations for him. It was everything that he kind of wanted um, and described. But then after the funeral, I just became kind of really restless and agitated. Um, at this point, I still didn't want to leave the house. Um, but I also just couldn't sit still. I couldn't focus on anything. I couldn't watch the telly. I couldn't read a book. I couldn't. I think I even found it hard to sit on the floor and play with Isla. Um, that kind of restless feeling just fully took over like my whole body, really. Um, it just became like really severe and then it kind of made me stop being able to sleep. Also, I suppose it didn't help at the same time. My marriage broke down as well. Um, so me and my husband split up. Um, and then life just became kind of really like this unclear and complicated mess in my head. Um, the, yeah, the sleeping got really bad. And it was at this point I went to the doctors um, and they gave me some very strong sleeping pills at this point, which was probably not the best thing for me, really, at that point. <laughs> Okay, um, I'm getting a sense of where we, we might go next, um, yeah. given some of the themes that we talked about. I And I, I'm wondering if, is it okay if I ask you a couple of questions or reflect mm -hmm. on some of the... Yeah, sorry, I've talked a lot there. <clears throat> no, 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 it's, it's okay. It, it just feels... Uh, there's something quite clear to me, a link, and I, I, I'm sure it will be to you now, but it's just the counsellor in me noticing that a few things really. Um, Lewis didn't live with anxiety. No, he, in your words, said, fuck it, I don't care, mm -hmm. I'm going to live. Mm -hmm. And that seemed to give him superpowers. <laughs> Yeah, no, you know, absolutely. Did, yeah, and I know that the, the you know the cancer took him, but he, even his acceptance of that and fuck it, I don't care, I'm gonna live. You know, isn't that so? Kind of the, the we think that oh well, we 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 believe that overthinking and trying to control our lives will make us feel happy and actually give us some sort of sense of power and control but mm -hmm. it does exactly the opposite and oh, yeah. you know he he didn't feel a need to do that and consequently really did live and mm -hmm. and yet he's the one who died at what 23 24 something like that, Is that, uh, is that 21 21 okay so I'm getting the, the maths is wrong I know sorry um, I think my chronological <coughs> can't speak now my timeline probably just went in and out of things from what so my memory good. was Thank goodness no wonder with all of that going on um you know and 
and then at the moment that you realized that there was no need for your anxiety anymore mm-hmm. you didn't know how to live you, you you couldn't live anymore because anxiety was all that you had known it had yeah. kept you going and I can imagine your poor brain was like well now the fuck what do we do oh my god yeah absolutely <laughs> I didn't have a bloody clue what to do with my life this was how you lived Mm-hmm. Okay, you'd had moments of reprieve while he was in remission. It sounds like they were the only times that you'd really yeah. been able to do that. And I was thinking as well, you know, you you were a young mum at the time. Um, I, I can imagine your anxiety, this kind of primal instinct to protect yourself or, you know, have the illusion of protecting yourself through worrying about your own cancer mm-hmm. so that you could be there for Isla. So like mm-hmm. just oh like you just must have been on on overdrive and to go from that and and at the same time recognizing the relative peace that that Lewis had and 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 um fulfillment and and sense of life and aliveness Mm -hmm. you know being able to kind of see that he could go peacefully doing the thing that you feared the most then it's like, well, what do I do with this brain and this body that has survived through a belief that anxiety is the way to do it? And now you don't have that anymore. Like just overnight almost going from Mm -hmm. one thing to the next. No wonder you needed to, your brain needed to find something for you to do with all of this energy inside of you that had previously been mobilized and used, you know, effectively, let's say. There was no effort to go anymore. No, no, absolutely. I was totally lost in this just dark hole of like, yeah, what the fuck do I do now? I just didn't know, didn't know what to do. Um, and yeah, this this whole like restless feeling of like agitation, feeling not being able to sit still, just really just took over my body. And obviously this is where like um, kind of the, the sleeping pills came in. Um, uh-huh getting them from the doctor um I think they gave me um at that first time I think they gave me kind of like a couple of weeks prescription um and I remember I remember taking that first tablet and that I don't know why on earth I recently saw the doctor um not so long ago actually and they were looking through like my medical history and they were like why why on earth did you get given those tablets? I'm like, I don't know. Because she was like, they're the strongest, most addictive sleeping pills out there. She was like, I don't prescribe them anymore. Um, so anyway, took that first sleeping pill one night. And I just remember thinking as soon as I took the, the, the tablet, this like a restless kind of feeling just like left my body. Um, but then it just like came this like numb feeling but at that time I loved it I was like oh thank god like I can feel nothing I can just slip into this like feeling of nothingness and I just didn't care about feeling empty at that time I just knew that feeling numb was what I wanted to feel um and it kind of took away a little bit that kind of full stabbing pain in my body from losing Lewis um so yeah continued with them 
And I did get prescribed some more of those same tablets because I obviously went back and just said, oh, I'm still having a problem sleeping. Um, so I ended up getting some more. Um, but then that numbing feeling kind of just, yeah, re again, just really took off and I, I wanted it. I wanted that feeling of feeling nothing. Um, so then at that time, I started buying um, over-the-counter sleeping tablets the ones that are kind of behind the counter and um, okay. I think they'll ask you like a couple of questions um and I started buying them to go in with the strong sleeping pills that the doctor gave me um which again just added to that like more numbing feeling it took that edge off a little bit more um and yeah the more of that feeling I had the more I needed it um and then it kind of just began to consume like my thoughts and my mind and all I could think about was oh, I need more sleeping tablets uh -huh. um so then at that point my doctor started to refuse to give me them um and saying oh you've had you've had too much these are really really addictive um but to be honest at that point it, it that ad addiction of those tablets had kind of already kicked in um, and I like really, really needed them to survive a day. Um, and yeah, it was, I felt like it was kind of, I mean, I didn't think this at the time, but it was like too late for, for to have prevented that addiction really. Um, and you I remember- were aware of it as an addiction at the time. Were Sorry? You aware, were you aware of it as no, an addiction no, absolutely at the not. time? No, absolutely not. All right, no. you just needed them and that was it. Yeah, I just needed okay. them. And I didn't, my thoughts kind of didn't go past that. I just thought, well, I just need these tablets because they're the only things that can kind of like make me feel better. Um, and I remember even the boots that I was going to to get the extra sleeping pills. I was walking in there and they were like, no, we can't serve you anymore. That's how often I was like going in to get them. Wow. So obviously I was finding like other places to get them. And that's kind of when I started trying to get these tablets in other ways. I mean, uh, yeah, other ways that weren't authorised, I suppose. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I would go to kind of, oh, sounds weird saying this, but I suppose drug, drug, drug dealers, essentially, who were selling these. Yeah. I mean, the um, way that you describe it, you know, going into places that are authorised to give you what you needed and then refusing you, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it sounds like drugs. It sounds like alcohol, doesn't it? And it's like, yeah, well, I'll yeah. go somewhere else to get them. I'll get it via another means, you know, no yeah. judgment, obviously, from me yeah, on this. Yeah, no. but, and I did get um, them. It that, was... that story sounds like yeah. that, you know. Yeah, no, I absolutely, absolutely did get them. Um, and yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I kind of started getting them from from other people, buying them off other people, um, and yeah, like it really did take off my life at this point. And then not so long after that, I broke my elbow actually, and I went to the hospital, and they gave me like a ton of um, uh, prescribed codeine at that point. And I was like, oh, my God, I've hit the jackpot here. I've just got, like, a load of codeine. Well, actually, I didn't really realise the effects of codeine because I'd never really taken them before. Um, but when I took the codeine with the sleeping pills, I was like, oh, my God, this, why, why did I not know about this sooner? Mm -hmm. 
yeah, that I mean, obviously coatings and, and opioids, so it kind of gives that effect of just again total like numbness, just made all those feelings go away, all like yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it got so bad. Um, I remember going on like a, a family holiday um, and I just remember thinking, I just need like something extra just to go along with these tablets, these codeine and these sleeping pills that I'm taking. I just want that extra little bit of hit, I suppose. Yeah. Um, just again, just to take that little bit of edge off. And it's like... It's really bad when I like again say this out loud. It's horrific. My brain was not thinking of this at the time. All it cared about was getting what I thought I needed, not about like the consequences of anything or what I was doing or even the thought that this wasn't even right. But um, yeah, you know, like I said, we were on this holiday and um, I remember waiting for everyone to go to sleep and I snuck into um my stepsister's bedroom. Um, because I knew that she had prescribed medication for her epilepsy um, and I stole them off her because I just thought oh well I think they'll take more of an edge off as well I think they'll probably go well with what I'm already taking um, and then I would like steal like um, I think my mum was on uh, called amitriptyline which is a muscle relaxant yes. um, which is obviously prescribed by the doctor and I remember um every time I went to her house I would sneak up into a room where a um, medication drawer was and I would just okay. take them every now and again it really was kind of just anything I could get my hands on um at that point um because all these pills were just making me forget everything they were a distraction because all I could think about was getting like where I was going to get them from Okay. How much so another mechanism for your anxiety actually for yeah. this anxious overthinking brain something yeah. to focus on and it did literally take the pain away yeah um, absolutely it did like when I would first hit them tablets especially when I was mixing them all as well it was just like oh like I could go in my mind at that time I could like just yeah go into this other world where none of this pain existed kind of thing and in my mind, not, not real world. Yeah, oh, of course not. Just, no. just like we talked about with the, yeah. well, before Lewis's cancer, when he did have it, then focusing on your own potential cancer, this kind of mm -hmm. not living in reality yeah. was yeah. your familiar and safe place. And yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I, 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 I just wanted to check, um, well, two things. Uh, you weren't just taking the, the medication prescribed or not to deal with physical pain at the time. I mean, you talked about this stabbing pain and I know kind of grief is, is very much a physical sensation, but was mm -hmm. it taking away other sensations as well? Emotional, mental sensations? Yes, it took away everything, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Everything. Yeah, it just made, it took away everything from my head. It took away everything from my body, like the feelings I was having in my body, like the whole, um, Kind of restlessness, agitation, um, that physical pain from that loss, that missing feeling of, of Lewis as well. I wanted yeah. that to go. I didn't want to have to miss him. Yeah. And also, I was having like flashbacks of his death and stuff, and I just needed all of that to stop. Um, 
and I needed all the thoughts, all the anxiety, all the just everything to stop. And then tablets at that time did uh, stop it. So also, like, kind of while I was in this um, hall of these prescribed, well, not prescribed actually, tablets. Um, at the same time, I also um, began a sexual relationship with a guy that actually met at Lewis's funeral. Um, but it was kind of in a really un unhealthy uh, relationship. Um, it was just based on sex, to be honest. Uh, but in my head, I was like, oh, well, there's a connection with Lewis, with him, because that's how I met him on like the hardest day of my life. And so that sex with him then was another drug for me in a way, because that would take away like any of the pain as well and later on um I didn't know this at the time but when later on kind of as I've moved past this um I've realized that I had like a trauma bond relationship with him mm -hmm. um which at that time which is the reason why I felt kind of I needed that sex that I had with him um yeah. and again that 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 was like a like a drug like it it was a relationship that I knew um was bad for a number of reasons um but I kind of treated that like a drug like I remember one time um my friend had kind of taken me away from the house and she was like right let's like come to my house and stay over my house and stuff and we'll have like a nice night together and uh I remember just kind of getting up at three in the morning and just leaving the house to go off and have sex with him and not even telling her where I was or anything um and then that also then led on to kind of other sexual relationships with men that were all unavailable in certain ways and different ways to each other um and it was like as I had this one side where I was kind of the, the pills were taken over my life but then this other thing came in with the sex where all I wanted to do all I wanted to do was either have these tablets or have uh -huh this really unhealthy sex with these unavailable men because I suppose at the time when I was doing it I was thinking well these men could potentially like hurt me in a way because they're all unavailable um so it was like in a way of like self-harm I know this sounds really weird because yeah. I knew I was entering into it to be hurt like mm -hmm. I wanted to be hurt by them because I suppose Maybe I started to feel like I needed some sort of pain, but not the actual pain of, of Lewis, really. So, yeah, then it just became this massive whirlwind of, like, um, again, I didn't know this at the time, but this addiction to um, these these drugs, essentially, because yeah. that was still yeah. a massive part. And then it then also came into, I suppose, addiction with sex, really, where I needed this sex with these string of unavailable men and I would kind of go and have this sex when I knew that I was um whenever some sort of feelings came up about Lewis then that, my way of dealing with that would be to go mm -hmm. off and um have this kind of really toxic unhealthy sex with these these men um 
so yeah I kind of just got myself into a really big um dark hole of these prescription drugs and sex and I felt like I couldn't survive without either of them at this point um like I needed both of those things just to get through the day really wow (laughs) okay um (laughs) I sometimes do this in sessions with clients I'm like just let me gather myself here to see what I've got sorry process no well I mean just just one thing that's in my mind um is like what maybe doesn't matter but this sounds like a lifetime of stuff you know the addiction journey Mm. um but how long was it how long from you know when you lost when you know like let's say Lewis's funeral Lewis's death Lewis's funeral to you being in the depths of these this addiction this self-harm this this, these toxic relationships yeah so um Lewis died in in the March 2018 and I'd say yeah the, the depths of this was um kind of the end of that year really I mean it was like obviously a build up to it um, oh, but, okay. but yeah, the yeah. depth of that was that was kind of the end of 2018 going into 2019 as well. And I suppose um I suppose living in that way was I lived like that for, for a full year actually, maybe a little bit over a year. Um and it was the following year in 2019 when um I ended up so when Lewis was in hospital, um obviously spent a lot of time in there and uh he we would like make friends with other families and other young uh-huh. people who also had cancer and we um became really good friends with a girl who had a brain tumor and her family so um yeah like I said the following year um she unfortunately died and I went to her funeral um and she was only 18 19 um and she'd been through like a long journey with her cancer battle. And the, f- the funeral was beautiful. But then after um, I got into my car and I was like, right, well, I need something. I need sex. I need those pills because I can't deal with that funeral I've just been to. Because it just brought back obviously so many memories of Lewis for one. And also I knew this girl as well. Like it was another mm. loss, I suppose. Um, yeah, the memory of your pain and then some new pain as yeah, well. Exactly, because, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I got in the car and I was like, right, I need to I need to go and find some of these pills. I need um, the, the guy who I'd met at Lewis's funeral. I need to go and have sex with him like right now. And then I got in the car and I started just driving in the car, like down the road. And just this total fog came over me. And I remember just really putting my foot down on the pedal and it just like watching the um it, the, the speed go up and I remember getting to 130 miles per hour down this road um and I was I, I remember thinking that the next lamppost that comes I'm just going to drive this car straight into this lamppost because I can't deal with these feelings anymore like I just wasn't so much so much the fact that I wanted to kill myself I just wanted it to stop like all like everything I just wanted everything to stop um and all I could see was just like kind of darkness around me and yeah I just wanted it yeah just wanted everything to stop but then of course um the thought of Isla came into my mind and I was like no Bethany you're a mom you've got a beautiful little girl 
you need to be there for her. And then, so I ended up driving actually to Lewis's grave um, on that on that night. Um, uh, it was I didn't really visit it that much, but it was one of the first, so yeah, it was probably one of the first times I'd really gone there to spend time there. Um, and then just out of nowhere, because I'd never, it never ever got to the point, to be honest, where I would allow myself to feel the pain and fit and just cry out. In that whole year, I never really cried much about it. Um, so yeah, sat down on his grave after I had that thought of being when I was in the car and just like everything just came out. I just started crying and releasing all of these emotions to him. I told like, and also like I hadn't told anybody any of this. Like nobody it's knew. All secret. Yeah, nobody knew really about the drugs and whatever else was going on. Like I'd never spoken to anyone about it because again in my mind it wasn't ever a, an issue in my head at that time mm. yeah. um but then I just ended up telling him everything and then when I started speaking the words out I was like okay now like I can't live like this like I've got to change something and um yeah I obviously thought of Isla I thought of Lewis and how he lived his life and I was like I need I need something different I need to start changing um so that I certainly think was the start of my mind kind of trying to make sense of something and to start realizing because I'd obviously told him everything and heard myself saying these words and I was like shit like yeah I can't continue this way anymore um and yeah again like I say it was the first step of kind of changing my way of thinking although I'm not going to lie. I wouldn't just wake up the next day and be like, oh, I'm totally fine now. It was like a long journey ahead. But um, that was certainly the moment that I knew something had to change. Wow. A moment of truth. Yeah, yeah. And it was all just uh, came out to Lewis. It was him who I told. And obviously he wasn't physically there, but somewhere he would have been listening. So, yeah. you hadn't seen what was going on right in front of your eyes you know mm. you were you were so consumed with the avoidance of the real pain the true the truth you mm-hmm. know so consumed with avoiding that truth <clears throat> and creating alternative pain and, and and numbing yourself from the it, it's interesting to me that you needed to numb yourself from the true pain the mm-hmm. loss of, 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 of Lewis. Um, and you have this brain that, you know, was, I guess, being serviced by all of the, um, the, the action and, and all of the thinking that needed to go into servicing your addiction, mm-hmm. first of all, to the numbing of the pain. But then this other addiction came in to say, well, hey, look, we still have pain, me and, you know, you and your soul and your whole body and your mind, etc. So let's go and find another pain that, that I understand mm-hmm. that I'm maybe in control of. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Um, and when I've had enough of that one, I'll go numb again. And yeah, and so yeah, yeah, of course. There's no, there's no getting away from from pain. It can, you know, it can. You can decide for it to show up in different ways, and you can also control its, um, you know, the numbing of that pain in the ways that you did. But there's no getting away from the fact that there is pain in every fibre of your being. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Hmm. Okay, so I think that's probably a good time for us to take a little break. Um, you're here with us now looking very healthy and, and articulate <laughs> in your experience. So I kind of hope that this is the point where the story starts to turn around yeah, for of you. Course. Of course. Um, so we'll we'll take a short break and then we'll come back and hear what happened from from that moment where you you faced the truth um, with your brother and, uh, and 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 bring us forward to today. Just a short break here. Wow, goodness, what a life Bethany's had. She will go on to talk about how some of the practices that she used to help her heal through some of this pain included yoga, shaking, breath work, movement generally, connection connection to the truth to the truth of her story what she'd been through and the perfect way to do this is by removing yourself from the demands of daily life and retreating to somewhere to be with yourself in the company of other people who were there caring for you perhaps on similar journeys and a really wonderful way for you to explore some of what you maybe need to pay attention to can be on a yoga retreat. This is something that I offer as part of my wider work and Amram is increasingly going to be joining me uh, in, um, in hosting these retreats. And so for this particular retreat, we have hired a beautiful country house in the Andalusian countryside in southern Spain. The dates for the retreat are from the 1st until the 6th of April 2023. You will be back just before Easter and it's in the Easter holidays so anybody who is a teacher can attend. And during these uh, five or six days, you will be welcomed into the most beautiful home nestled in the Andalusian countryside, high up in the mountains, just, uh, just next to the Sierra Nevada. This gorgeous estate that we have uh, hired for you is, is decorated uh, to the highest of luxurious standards and has a slightly Moorish feel with an atrium like in the uh, Riyadhs in Morocco. As you walk in the property, your breath will be taken away by how beautiful it is. And from that moment onwards, we will look after everything that you require. So all food is cooked for you by local chefs who will provide local um, cuisine which is healthy and caters to all dietary requirements. We will practice yoga twice a day early on in the morning there'll be a more dynamic practice where we will incorporate breath work, various kinds of movement, meditation, visualizations and then in the afternoon there will be a lighter session where we might explore acro yoga have a look at some different breathwork practices just to enjoy the rest of the afternoon. We will also be 
taking optional excursions to the beautiful city of Granada and down to one of the beach resorts where you can enjoy the warm ocean lapping against your feet taking in all of the delights down there maybe enjoy a meal at one of the luxury restaurants on the on the seaside and there will also be optional treatments from some of the uh well from amram and from me uh, so energy work and even you know a space to talk through some of what's coming up for you and process it with a talking therapy session with me um, so if you are interested then please visit my website martinblacklock.com where you'll find all the details of the retreat under the events section you can also have a look on my social media for some reels which give you all of the uh, delights there um, through these lovely videos and you can also if you have any questions send me an email to martinblacklock at gmail.com it's a wonderful way for you to dig into some of what maybe needs your attention but doesn't get the time due to the demands of day-to-day -day life. So we would love to see you there. Anyway, let's get back to Bethany. Okay, so welcome back to part two. Um, we've had, yeah, we've been on quite a journey with Bethany here and her story um, of uh, of well, anxiety, uh, health anxiety, I guess we could, we could call it from, you know, cancer and other fears of becoming ill when you were younger to your brother contracting cancer and, and, and ultimately um, him passing. And then that pain that you were experiencing from losing him, meaning that you then became addicted to prescription drugs and, and all manner of other um other drugs as well and uh an addiction to sex and, and relationships and that all leading you to your brother's grave where you finally faced the truth which was that your pain that had been masked by by drugs um expressed in a different way through sex and and addiction to sex it all came to the fact that all these addictions were actually to cover up your pain and that you know that that takes me to um some wonderful work by dr gabor mate who um has spoken a lot about addiction and the fact that you know when we see addiction we shouldn't be asking you know why the addiction but we say what's the pain that is underneath this addiction and I don't think I've ever heard a story that more perfectly describes how he views addiction and I mean I could talk all day long about the various ways in which we cover up um, discomfort pain um, with all of the various addictions that we have but I'm kind of and I'll, I'll post a link to a, a talk that Dr Gabor Mate did I think it's a TED talk on addiction for anybody that's interested but one of the things that I'm really keen on asking you about Bethany is this idea that you know if we took a snapshot of your life from the end of 2018 
and saw what you how you were living your life with a I mean a young daughter and you know just constantly moving from either trying to find drugs to then trying to find um you know a way of, of expressing your pain through through sex and what your life would have looked like then you know the judgment that people could have had that you might have had you know when when realizing what you were doing and actually what was underneath all of that behavior was pain and 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 just how that you know what your thoughts are about that yeah I mean um certainly if you took kind of a little snapshot of my life back then um I suppose when because I suppose when I'm talking to you about about this in the back of my mind I'm like oh people know I've got a little girl mm-hmm. how are people going to kind of judge me for these behaviors when I was a parent as well um and of course she she didn't witness any of that she um she was safe um but yes yeah, as, as a parent and a single parent and me kind of acting out those behaviors yeah you could you could say I was an awful parent you could say that I wasn't putting my child first um my life was a mess and this is just someone looking in on on how I was living my life then um but yeah in reality like you say you you do just need to look at that kind of pain where's that where these behaviors coming from um and going back to sort of my job in social services, so many people will judge parents who have social services involved, yeah. um, or they're an awful parent for doing this, this, and this. Um, and yeah, of course, there are some not very nice stories um, around neglect and stuff. But when you look at parents who have got addictions, um, not to look at that in, in judgment because you really just need to look at well, where where has this come from yeah. they didn't just wake up one day and decide to be an alcoholic or a drug user it's it's stemming back from something so painful that the only way that they can really get through the day is by using whatever they need to use and yeah it's just about offering those people that support and help with the source of the pain rather than just judging them from that current behavior such as addiction yeah yeah it's a it's it's a manifestation of the pain it's a symptom of the pain it's it isn't the i mean it becomes the problem because the choice of expression of that pain in a way that is understandable that that makes sense you know like you with the sex you know it's like well it makes sense to me that that would hurt so I'm going to go and do that because at Mm -hmm. least I don't have to feel this other pain that is either you know just too big to acknowledge or or not understandable you know and yeah and and that's that's a lot of self-harm as well you know finding one pain that's understandable to 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 express another one that isn't Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this is also uh, just going back onto the the sex um addiction as well um although at the time it would take my mind away from anything but then after I'll be like oh I don't know why I've just done that like I would feel terrible about myself um but again that was like part of that self-harm where I could kind of put that self-harm on me and kind of hurt myself a little bit to just be like oh Bethany what have you just done there um you're an awful person for doing that um 
but again that it was just another way of like hurting myself so I didn't have to deal with the pain the reality of the pain of, of Lewis as well so. absolutely and that's really common in self-harm you know from my um uh, professional experience there is always that immediate hit that helps mm -hmm. you express the pain and and often you know so with sex there will be certain um chemicals that are produced yeah, that will provide yeah. a hit in themselves mm -hmm. similarly to people who cut you know there is a release of certain chemicals through mm -hmm. the act of cutting that actually it numbs that pain and it feels good it's like a drug that becomes another addiction but there's always this kind of this level of consciousness that's underneath whether you know for me I, I would describe it as your soul speaking your essence saying we shouldn't be doing this mm -hmm. this isn't mm -hmm. the way to do this and so then the shame comes in yeah which absolutely means that you then cover it up and in order to cover it up you then need to do the same thing that you did mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. this spiral downwards it's yeah, just one big cycle yeah so you ended up facing the truth of your pain with Lewis on, you know, with, with, with yeah. his, his grave. And yeah. that seems like it started this journey of you attending to the real pain. Could you tell mm -hmm. us what happened from then on, please? Yeah, of course. So um, obviously I was at his grave um, on, on the day that I had those awful thoughts in the car and the funeral. And it was the first time um, that... Uh, I said what had been going on this kind of last well it's probably over a year at this point um and it was the first time that these words come out of my mouth and I listened to myself and the first time I cried and yeah it was just like this massive like release of everything and it just felt so good to release all that and say it out loud um, I suppose it was probably easier. I mean, to be fair, like the relationship that me and Lewis had anyway, like he was my best friend. Like I told him everything that went on. Like if I had like stress or whatever, he would be like the first person to ring. And the same with him, he would ring me. Um, I would tell him everything. And I think, yeah, it, he was also the, the person that I told with all this. I'm sure of some of the stuff. I remember saying out loud to him, I'm so sorry I'm telling you this. You won't want to hear about some of the stuff I'm telling you. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it was the first time I had the words were coming out of my mouth and hearing myself. And I just knew that I needed that change um, to live my life differently for, for Isla, for, for Lewis and for myself as well. Um, so like I said, it wasn't over, like an overnight change. Um, I think the first part of that was admitting to myself and hearing those words that I'd said, it was kind of the truth to me to be like, okay, right, where do we go with this? Um, how do you want to start living your life? And it was accepting the fact that, yeah, I did have reliance on these certain things um and I didn't kind of know how to get out of it at that point I had no idea how to stop that need for uh, sex and that need for those drugs as well um so yeah it was um I knew that it was going to be a long journey and a hard one at that um and I knew that I needed to allow myself to feel as well mm -hmm. um I suppose the first step 
at that point was um, I went to the doctors and uh, got a counsellor. Mm-hmm. And I suppose speaking to a counsellor about everything again just helped me to know the truth of what was going on in my life because I'd hidden everything so much. Yeah. I was lying to myself. I was lying to just every, everyone. And it, like, yeah, it was just everything was kind of a lie at that point. But being able to speak out to a, a counsellor really helped me to say my truth um, yeah. and to know again that I needed to change. So that was certainly the first step. Um, and I suppose at that point as well, um, I mean, I've been kind of uh, dabbling in yoga classes for a couple of years on and off. Um, and I remember telling the counsellor this at this point and she was like, well, are you using your yoga um, to kind of help with this? I'm like, no, not really. It's just something that I really, I just go to um for something to do kind of thing at that point um so it was at that point that I really started to get into the yoga classes and it really helped like don't get me wrong the whole like um the the need of the the drugs and the sex was still massively there it (laughs) certainly didn't just go um and it didn't go for a long time if I'm being honest um but yeah, I started getting really into kind of the yoga world and attending kind of classes. And that's when I really started to notice how it was making my body feel and how my body was feeling. Um, and the use of moving my body really helped to kind of release certain pains and emotions um, yeah. by yeah, movement and, and breathing. I don't think I'd taken a breath for years to be honest I mean I'd, obviously I was breathing but I'm not taking an actual uh-huh. inhale and exhale and just to really notice that breath and just to feel alive with that breath um was all just things to help me and yeah like I said I started really getting into the yoga world and continued with my counseling and um I remember just going to kind of a, a, a day retreat um my yoga teacher that I was going to who lived close by and in this I kind of wasn't really I didn't know what to expect but um in this retreat she um made us kind of write down our sufferings I suppose and I think it I think it was stuff like what has been the she was asking questions and stuff like what's been the hardest part of your year so far how did you get through this? And I'm like, she didn't obviously know anything about my journey yeah. at this point. And I was like, oh shit, like I've got to talk about everything that's just happened. And then I started writing it all down and just these tears just started coming out. Um, and again, that was another step just for a release. And then um, again, I went to another, um, it was a foundation yoga teacher weekend actually. and. So I went away to do this weekend. And um, again, that was, uh, you had to answer these questions about kind of what was causing you suffering at this moment. Um, I think it's stuff like, again, what do you, do you feel shame about anything? So then that's when I started writing about like all the sex addiction and um, and the use of kind of the drugs as well. Um, and then we had to share it with, someone else who was in the class 
And I remember saying, like, I don't think I can say these things out loud to somebody else. Okay. And I no, honestly, like, it's a safe place. Obviously, if you don't feel comfortable, don't. But then I just right. said it all. And I was just crying. And I'm like, I still remember saying to this girl, I'm like, I'm so sorry for what I've just told you, like, the things that I've just said. And she's like, no, honestly, like, it's all right. And I think just knowing that it was all right made me feel a bit better, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, just continued with um, the yoga, the movement. At the same time as well, I did, um, I studied my NLP, the Neuro Linguistic Programming through work. Mm -hmm. And that, again, really helped. That's about obviously changing the way you think yes. um, to a more positive outlook. Um, so, yeah, really started working with um, NLP therapy and, and changing how I would kind of see the world and think about things. Mm -hmm. um, again, but still at this point, um I I'd reduced a lot of of taking the the drugs, I suppose. Um I was still felt like I still had that craving and I would still use them, but certainly not as much as what I had been. Mm. Um and I was still using I would say the sex as well at this point. Um so yeah. Like I say, I was working with a counsellor, I was doing NLP, I was working a lot with my body and moving and working with yoga, breathing. Uh, I then did a very small retreat for a couple of days. And again, that just helped me with, it's where I actually started to really start writing things and journaling things down. And instead of keeping them inside my head and my body, I'd write it all down. So then I could see really where I was at. And it was, again, a release to me instead of mm -hmm. using those other coping mechanisms. I suppose writing then became um, a way to kind of get everything out. Um, so, yes, yeah, so writing every day. And again, just reading back my writing, I was like, oh, shit, like, yeah, this needs changing or that needs changing. Um, so that really did help. And then, where are we at? Um, I think at this point, I just needed, um, I was trying to do all this work, but there's still stuff that I needed that extra work with. I was, yeah, still using the sex with some of the drugs. Um, so I really remember just to think about how Lewis lived his life. And I allowed myself to kind of start remembering him and missing him a little bit and how he wanted to live and I remember that obviously his plan was to go to Australia um that was his main plan once he was there to go to Australia so um I spoke to my mum about this and she was like no you need to go obviously Isla will be safe she's um she's got a dad she's got uh, me so she was like, just, yeah, just go. Um, so I went to Australia and I stayed in kind of this like um, yoga village. Uh, it was like a healing village. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we did a lot of kind of self-work there, a lot of inner work. Um, 
going to really allowing myself to feel those those emotions um and then also while I was there I spent some time with the girl that he was um going out there to see so uh this was a girl who had they were kind of like in love with each other but nothing ever came from it okay. um she obviously lived in Australia but they'd known each other since like very small and Mm-hmm. yeah so I spent a lot of time with her there and she talked a lot about him in ways that I'd never really seen I suppose as my brother um and uh, then I remember we like shared a lot and I remember saying we were talking about him. we were sat on top of this kind of um cliff looking out to the sea and then out of nowhere this like rainbow it wasn't like a normal rainbow it was like a circular rainbow above us like kind of like a halo it's weird um <laughs> And we looked up and I was like, oh, my God, like, don't know what this is a sign of, but I've never seen a rainbow like that as we were talking about Lewis and crying oh, about God. him. And then I just had this thought. I was like, um, Lewis has literally given me the gift of life. Um, and that's the only way I could kind of. Um, how do I describe it? Yeah, it's, it's hard to put into words, um, but it's just I just knew at that point that he had given me this amazing gift to live my life, to live his life. And I changed, I changed so many things of my life at this point. Like I said, my, my marriage broke down and that was something that unfortunately was making me happy for a lot of years before uh, Lewis died. Um, so I kind of got out of that and um, got my own house as well. And that was, again, was something that was like a, like a new start kind of thing for me and Isla. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, while I was sat on this, on this cliff in Australia, looking out to sea with this rainbow above me. Um, also, as well, when I went to Australia, I knew that that was the time where I needed to just give up the, the pills and stuff. So I was like, I'm going to go and not take them with me I still had some because mm. I couldn't let go of them mm. they needed to be in my cabinet just in case mm. uh, it's obviously the addiction speaking really but I purposely went to Australia and not taking them with me and I was like no just just you can do it you don't need them so yeah I was obviously there without them and um and yeah just had this this realization that he'd give me this this wonderful gift of life to live my life how I chose to live it really and um and because he was so full of life and character and spirit and laughter I didn't want I wanted to kind of take that on with me I wanted to carry that on with me that I wanted to carry his spirit on with me of his of how he lived his life and yeah it was just at that point I was like okay I'm gonna live my life the right way for for him and and for me as well and and yeah I just felt like kind of this light just came over and yeah it was just it was a strange thought it was a strange day where I just thought I'm done with that darkness now I need the light in my life I need to follow that light um, because that's what he was he was this light in this world and yeah he was I suppose 
I don't know why you had to leave this world um, so young and so early, but all I can say it is now it's a gift and I have to do something with that gift um, that he gave to me for life. And um, yeah, so that was uh, January 2020. And then when I came back, that's when lockdown hit and I suppose it kind of gave me no choice but to really, really sit with those feelings because I had nowhere to escape to. Um, I couldn't see anyone. I couldn't go anywhere. Um, and God, at the time, did I hate lockdown? I was like, why the fuck is this happening to me now? I need to like go out and... Because um, I kind of worried a little bit coming back, being stuck in that house that there was cravings for things would come back. But... Um, and again, I'm not going to lie, it was not easy being mm-hmm. sat, I mean, it's not easy, that lockdown was not easy for a number of reasons. But um, yeah, being sat in the house with nowhere to go and to really sit with those feelings. Um, yeah, it was, it was hard. Um, but at the same time, I think it was what I, what I needed because I had nowhere to escape to. Um, not, not even your existing addictions, because you, no, you know no, that exactly. that that day that the, they were gone, right? That that light yeah. meant that the darkness, the option of the previous darkness of the addiction, wasn't there either anymore. Mm-hmm. Your only mm-hmm. option was to live, and that means facing the darkness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And truth. I had to. And like I say, those. Um, I mean, what we would like lockdown was like what, like a year and a half ish. Mm. Yeah. On and off, yeah, two years on and off, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it just uh, I suppose gave me that forced time, I suppose. Uh, like I said, I had no choice but to feel everything and find a way to be able to um, to, to manage those uh, awful feelings because I still get the, those kind of restless agitation feelings in my body. But I suppose I kind of had the tools with the yoga to kind of put that into practice a little bit. And yeah, yeah, it's like practicing a lot. And that obviously just really helped with um, managing the emotions in my body. And I think it was at that point that I decided that I wanted to um, do my yoga teacher training because Mm -hmm. I realized that... uh, power of it really and I kind of wanted to share that with other people um so yeah that's how I kind of spent the lockdown and crying and feeling and writing shouting screaming uh. <laughs> I would recommend all of those things to just <coughs> let it out and they were just all releases as well um and again, like I said, with, with, at that time, those cravings, those urges, they didn't just disappear. They stay with me. They are still with me now. Um, I'm not going to lie. Like, I still have times where I will really miss Lewis or I'll get a trigger or even to the season. So, like, at the moment for that, like, for me, it's obviously coming into um, the dark nights, the yes. autumn, the winter. And that's the time when Lewis started becoming really ill um, from like September till January. And then obviously he died in the March. Um, 
and his birthday's in December as well. So I really kind of struggle coming into these months mm-hmm. and um, especially the last couple of years, I still have those cravings to use to reach out for for the drugs or to reach out for those um, unhealthy sexual relationships. Um, so they haven't disappeared. Um, the, like thoughts of the head haven't haven't disappeared all the, but I don't. I've got different kind of when they, they those things do come into my mind. I'm like, right, well, what? How do I deal with this? Yeah. Where do I go to? Um, I'll write down. I'll uh, move my body. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and since um, I've been teaching yoga as well, that's helped. Again, just sh- to just be able to share those powerful tools for people to really manage their emotions, to feel, um, to be aware of the body and release it in other ways. Uh, It's more kind of, yeah, sorry, my mind's just gone blank now. (laughs) It's okay, no wonder this is, uh, you know, it's a lot in so many ways I think I think to maybe help you out a little bit with that I'm hearing that actually when you feel the need to disconnect from the true pain by either numbing it or by distracting yourself with a different one you instead do what is needed to connect with it absolutely yes you know the truth and express it in in all of these ways that you happened upon that you were then taught I mean there's a really lovely expression about yoga finds you when you need it you know oh absolutely and that definitely came to me when I needed it I need I I didn't know at the time of course but I needed it I needed to to yeah to be aware of my body and and what was going on inside of it to be aware of that pain as much as hard as that was and to really feel that pain and um yeah to to just move my body through those emotions um in a way to kind of release it from from me and that's kind of what yoga has done for me it's released a lot of those uh emotions and um as well it doesn't just have to be yoga I don't want to just say that yoga fixes everything but (coughs) even just stuff to really feel into other emotions like like I say shout scream cry move the body in other ways dance shake it out shake the whole body Mm. and just release all of those feelings because I still get those feelings of like agitation I find it really difficult to just sit sit and watch tv Mm -hmm. Um, because when I do those feelings do come back a little bit Um, so when they do come back I'll just get up and start shaking the body put some music on dance around the house as much as I probably look crazy doing that, but it's just moving the body and releasing it in that way can just really help with those urges. And because that that addiction mind, it's kind of still there. Well, um, yeah, I mean, it's well trained, you know. Yeah, you, you, of course. Whether it through is, all of your, you know, years before. Lewis's first cancer you know you have a mind that has been trained to overthink and to overanalyze and to to be busy um as a way of dealing mm-hmm. with difficult yeah. sensations i.e not like the truth of your pain and mm-hmm. so you, you you won't turn that around overnight but you can do something with it that's helpful 
and yeah. I'm I'm really amazed actually by the the couple of instances that you've described where something uh, disproportionately insignificant in terms of action so sitting on a grave and talking your truth to your brother's grave had a disproportionately large significant impact on your life as did Mm -hmm. writing some stuff down as did moving Mm -hmm. your body we don't need to do you know 30 years of the reverse of what we did we just need to find the right things that allow Mm. us to express what needs to be expressed and actually that can create you know from from you know even if it's just two minutes of shaking that can help you rid yourself of the energy associated Mm -hmm. with years of pain Mm -hmm. it's 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 got to be truthful and it's got to be in the, in, it's got to be releasing and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, 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 and connection, I guess you're saying there, yoga movement, it's all about helping you connect with your body, your emotions, mm-hmm. your thoughts, yeah, and finding a way to express them so that they don't take over your, your body, your mind, your thoughts, your, you know, don't take over your life. You take back control of it by facing your truth mm-hmm. and expressing it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And also just to breathe as well, like really like breathing, that helps a lot. I found it really difficult to be able to do breathing techniques, to be honest. Um, and I've really struggled with that over the years uh, when it comes into yoga as well. And my mind just tells me that I can't breathe properly for some reason. Um, but really just kind of slowing it down and just really yeah, connecting with my body, really noticing how my body's feeling um where that feeling is in my body as well and then using the breath to kind of release that um yeah in my body and working with uh, so I suppose especially this year for me I'm kind of working with how the seasons are are working as well so um we see it's autumn now and I find it extremely difficult to slow down. Um, I obviously the way I've managed is by being busy doing things. And although I do still keep busy in certain ways, um, or obviously healthy ways this time, um, I still find it a massive struggle to slow down. But I'm trying to work with the seasons to be like, you know what, it's okay to kind of go into that hibernation phase right now and to slow it down it's okay to be in the house it's okay to feel whatever it is that I'm feeling right now and if it is pain um loss or anything that's making my body feel unpleasant then how do I work with that um writing down shaking dancing moving stamping my feet and yeah just learning how to really slow down so I can really connect with my body and then that's how I know how I can kind of release anything that needs releasing and letting go of those kind of negative behaviors really um because yeah I I do want to live my life the best possible way for myself and Isla and and Lewis and um yeah the, the way I see see it now is um Obviously, the the end of something is always um, really obviously sad, but it just means that 
while it was happening. It was this amazing, beautiful thing. And I'll always be grateful that I got to live my life with my brother and he was my brother. And um, yeah, just because that part came to an end, it's just, I believe it's just the start of another beautiful, beautiful adventure for him really. And wherever he may be, wherever he might find himself, I'm sure we'll, we'll find out that eventually. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's just this, the start of a new new journey, new adventure. And that's how I kind of have to look at his death now. Um, otherwise, I do sink back into that kind of darkness. Yeah. I just have to open up to the light, really, and just, just say, yeah, he's having an adventure somewhere else. Um, mm-hmm. It was all kind of meant to be as hard as that sound saying it out loud um yeah life is hard death is hard we can't get away from it we no. just have to find a way to live with it and mm-hmm. you know he he absolutely lives on in you once you decided to use his light to light up your life and light up your darkness and let it all be there Mm -hmm. and I think just as we as we finish up here um I also believe very strongly I I have a million things to say but you know what I think so will every single person who listens to this. They'll have so many questions to ask themselves, so many ways in which they can shed light on parts of themselves and their stories and those around them that might currently look dark and you absolutely embody in every single bit of that story and your life and you know just sitting there being so beautiful as you are you embody this whole idea of what healing together is about that we use each other to well to provide comfort to express how we're feeling, to find a way to shine light on the dark corners of your heart so that we can all help each other through that because we are here to help each other home to that place of peace and light that that does exist in all of us, even in the darkest moments. You knew to go to that grave that day, you know? And yeah, um, and I think sometimes we have to find ourselves in those darkest moments to find the light again. You've got to go there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, As hard as it is, I had to have that day where I was about to crash my car into the lampposts because I needed to get to the. Like I say, I was surrounded by darkness, and and then and then the light appeared. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, like I say, it wasn't the easiest of journeys, and I still have struggles across the day. Um, But yeah, just surround yourself with that light and. Lewis is like my guiding star now, so yeah, I have him as well to guide me to the right places, and yeah. Well, thank you for allowing us all to get to know him, to get to know you and all you've been through, and um, I, I don't have enough words to describe how grateful I am for you sharing all of this with, with us. 
and I'm pretty sure that there'll be a lot of feedback and questions for you. So I will, um, I'll speak to you about that. I kind of know that that's coming already. Um, <laughs> but aside from that, you know, how, um, if anybody wanted to attend your yoga classes or maybe, you know, contact you with their own feedback, would how would, how would people do that if that's okay for you? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so um, yoga classes. Um, I mean, I, I'm all the way up in the in the northeast, so um, I do one to one yoga classes, and um, just to really uh, that can either be done um, in a studio or my home or their home, wherever that person feels comfortable, or in a neutral space. Um, and yeah, really kind of. Um, hold that space to really connect with our bodies and find awareness within our bodies, release anything that needs releasing. Um, so of course, um, anyone can kind of reach out to me through that. Um, I'm on social media. Uh, and then I also teach at um, Hot Pod Yoga in Gateshead, which is okay. just a lot of fun, really. Yeah. <laughs> but of course, we uh, we we bring that awareness to our body, and yeah, of course, yeah, it's um, a bit of lightheartedness. And uh, I'm also going to be um, training in the floor dance meditation. Oh yes, yes, yeah. Um. So hopefully, I be, I can bring that as well to wherever needs it or wants it and I think you'll be coming over here to uh <laughs> work with people in my community locally oh, well, so we're gonna that. we're gonna have to organize that obviously <laughs> of, so, course, um, of course and yeah just shake out those bodies get them mm -hmm. get them dancing moving feeling releasing yeah. letting go all that um so yeah of course anyone can reach out to me whether that's one-to-one -one classes yoga classes and very soon to be, um, yeah, floor dance meditation. As well. well, I will put a link to your handle on Instagram. Will that be okay as a way? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. If anybody wants to contact you about any of this stuff. Um, and um, I haven't told you this yet. Um, <laughs> however, um, I normally, and I, I've mentioned to you at the beginning, I normally do a card reading um, for guidance and inspiration for the mm -hmm. for the guest and also for the listeners. Yeah. And I will do one for you if you like, but do you know what I'm thinking? These deities and goddesses, gods, goddess guardians are here to provide that inspiration for us to understand ourselves and how we might be able to live our lives and what we might ask our question how we might receive guidance on our questions I think Lewis is our deity and he's our <laughs> you know he's our higher being yeah that of course, we can of all course. use to to receive some internal guidance from and be inspired by so would it be okay if we used him and his story as the of inspiration course. yeah he um, is my inspiration like yeah oh, I just feel like anybody else and I love them I love them but <laughs> it's Lewis today it feels like for me and and I just yeah just think he's he's wonderful and um, I'm looking forward to the impact he will have on me because of the story that you've told 
um, I have got his words firmly planted in my mind, which is, fuck it, let's <laughs> just live. And that's really how he lived his life. Like he was facing death and he knew it and he continued to live the best way he knew how to. And anyone who knew him would say that. Like he was literally the life and soul of the party when facing death. Through, well, from the from the minute he was born, to be honest, until right till the end, the room where he where he died, it was full of people because he was a kind of everybody's yeah centre point, everybody's like life, and he just brought everybody together. And yeah, he was so fearless; it's ridiculous. He had no fear. He did what he wanted. He lived the life that he wanted to live. And I'm so grateful that I got to see that because I can then kind of um, live my life in that way. And uh, yeah, um, yeah, I've lost for words now, but. <laughs> well, it's been an absolutely amazing um, show. And, you know, there's just so much, um, I think, for us all to take from it. And um, you must be exhausted, bless you. You've given so much today. So let's finish it up there. Um, I really, really appreciate you. And, 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 and I mean, I did anyway, but after this, it's just like, it's just so, so amazing. So thank you so oh, much no. for sharing yours and thank and, you. and story. Thank you so much for um, having me on as well. Like, I'm really honoured that I was able to come on here and, yeah, to share my story. Um, hopefully I didn't talk you, your head off that much. But, um, no, honestly, thank you so much. It's, yeah, it's been an honour. I massively appreciate it. My absolute pleasure. Thank you. And I will definitely see you again soon, my love. You yes, take care. Absolutely. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Oh, Bethany, I really loved that. I'm so pleased that I didn't ask Bethany for the full story beforehand and just had the themes of what she was looking to discuss. And I know that on some of the previous shows, we've covered some of the themes of anxiety, addiction, loss and grief. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, these, these tools that we talk about regularly that can help us face and work through some of the truth of our pain the things that we're holding on to no matter the narrative you know these tools provide ways in which we can all benefit from in terms of addressing what's really going on just a joy to to witness what bethany has been through and how she's turned things around in such a short space of time she's a real delight and so for the next interview for the next show we have my wonderful sister claire coming on the show and she is going to be talking about how she supported my niece and her daughter grace through anorexia it continues to this day the challenges of trying to be the best mom she can and live her own life while having a really painful mirror held up to her by her own daughter and I'm sure any of you parents out there will be able to resonate with that 
and so I will be speaking to Claire tomorrow and that means I can release her episode on Wednesday so because of your patience and understanding of uh, me taking a break I wanted to reward that with two wonderful interview episodes in a short space of time thank you so much for your well just everything um, I love doing this I love how uh, this community is coming together supporting each other through um, authentically sharing stories and uh, you know using those for self-reflection to find different perspectives on things that maybe you've been stuck with for years it's really helping me too actually as a consequence and I guess that's what this is all about you know we are all indeed here to help each other home so please get strong in the ways that you find work for you whatever that might be and stay open I think Bethany's uh, Bethany's show today has, has, has shown how much it's important to not just look at this snapshot of the present and and see all what's difficult and that you can judge negatively but always asking not what's the addiction not what is the story that's been presented to me but what's the pain that led to that difficult behavior to that difficult story stay open and curious rather than be judgmental and of course always be kind always it's hard work i know but you'll be rewarded and be grateful for every experience that's sent your way not because you want it to happen or that you would wish it upon yourself or anybody else but because it's what you got and you can either let it kill you or you can let it make you stronger so get strong stay open kind and grateful i'm grateful for you so thank you and i'll see you next time lots of love bye bye